yourself Cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing Don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up in Troy, Michigan earned a B.S. in mechanical engineering from Michigan State University. For five years, he was an engineer at Ford Motor Company and then had a 33-year career with General Motors and rose to be a manager in the launch team department. On November 13, 2000, at age 55, he had a road to Damascus experience. He's a shining example of a man who believes that Jesus is his best friend. His name? Bob Smith. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasula, this is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to Bob Smith, who is a modern day Saul of Tarsus. We'll explain later. Bob, welcome, real honor to have you. Well, thank you very much, Jack. Can you lead us in an opening prayer tonight? Certainly. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We love you for all the things that you stand for, how you protect us, guide us, and direct us in your way. We ask that you be with us in this next segment that uh, people will hear the truth and you'll touch their hearts and lead them into the kingdom. We love you and we thank you. And we turn this over to you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's go to your childhood. Grew up in Troy. Talk about your childhood, your mom and your dad. Well, um, I had two parents. My mom was a born-again believer, so she raised the kids going to church all the time. Uh, first part of my life, my dad was not. But he was a good man, hard worker, taught me ethics, taught me perseverance, and um, uh, he was a perfectionist, so he demanded the best of uh, what you did and what you tried. And and uh, what were you like as a kid? With my mom, I was in love with her, and I could never do enough good things for her. My dad, I was frightened to death of most of the time. <laughs> I was the older son, and uh, so he expected uh, the very best out of me. Sometimes uh, he expected perfection where I was an amateur. And uh, so it was, uh, he, he was a disciplinarian. And uh, in like in those days, uh, you don't want to spoil the child and spare the rod. Well, he made sure he didn't have a spoiled son. So, Did you ever go up against him? One time only. <laughs> One time only. Oh, probably through age 12, the, the idea was if I had done something wrong, I knew there was a there was a retribution afterwards. So I'd have to sit at the dining table knowing that it happens after you eat. Well, that can affect your eating habits. <laughs> but then it was time for, uh, for uh, spankings. And uh, one time, and I would cry because it hurt. But there was one time I finally said, I'm not going to cry anymore. And I told him, I says, you know, no matter how hard you hit me, 
I am not crying anymore. You went to MSU. You got a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. And then for five years, you were at Ford Motor Company as an engineer. Talk about that chapter at Ford. Ford was a delight. Uh, I was a GM tech student. And unfortunately, when I graduated, they were not in a hiring mood. So I interviewed at Ford, and they took me in. And I had a wonderful time with them for five years. And then I ran into a situation that uh, called for a moral judgment. And uh, against the advice of my monitor at Ford, we each had someone that was looking out for our career, um, I resigned rather than uh, capitulate to what they asked me to do which put me on the market back, and I, uh, then I sought work at GM, and uh, by then they had openings, and uh, they took me in. So I appreciate it. And you had a 33-year career with GM. You rode through the ranks. You became a manager. Uh, you were the GM type of manager. Talk about the, the GM manager back then. Well, they wanted managers that were really tough, um, fair but tough. And uh, I fit the bill. Uh, men would come in with, uh, that worked for me that had a problem, and I would uh, instantly go to, okay, I've, I now know what the problem is. What's your solution? What plan have you got to get us back on track? It's called a recovery plan. Of course, most of them did not have a plan, and so I sent them out. Now, you know what our timing is. You know what our cost structures are. You've got to meet it. When am I going to hear the answer to that? And we'd work out a date. And once I knew there was a problem, I was on their back watching the progress toward what they promised us to do. So uh, in that respect, um, I was like very most of the other managers. We have a job to pursue. We had a uh, saying at General Motors, you never have the opportunity to turn the production line down twice. <laughs> All right. We're talking to Bob Smith. Bob, describe for us your relationship with our Heavenly Father for the first 55 years of your life. Um, I, Even though I was raised in a Christian family and was compelled to go to church, I had no relationship whatsoever with God. Uh, growing up, I would look at the um, issues that were Christians were doing, and uh, I, I didn't want to have any part of them. A lot of them didn't do things the way I would do it. Um, their moral standards, I had no, no handling of that. I thought I knew the better way to live my life. So I didn't need God. I didn't need direction from somebody else that I didn't know or could I talk to. We're talking to Bob Smith. When we come back, we're going to take him back to November 13th, 2000, the day that transformed his life. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WGR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Crisola. We're with Bob Smith. 
Let's go back to November 13th, 2000. You're driving up north on I-75 for your annual hunting trip in Charlevoix. And Bob, you're one mile from the North Branch exit. That's exit 215. You've done it many times. What happened? I was by myself, and uh, I was getting ready. I was slowing down for the for the exit that I'd been to many times, looking forward to to the breakfast and uh, getting back on the road. And all of a sudden, inside my cab, it began to fill with this goldish, bright goldish fog. And it took probably less than five seconds to fill that cab, that cab up, and I could see absolutely nothing, and I was frightened to death. I had no idea what was going on. I'm an automotive engineer. None of this could be coming from anything from this vehicle. So it wasn't a vehicle malfunction. I didn't know what to do. Uh, the best I could do is try and maybe swing over a little bit to the right until my tires hit gravel, then I would know, and then try and try and slow down by going from gravel to pavement and come to a stop. But the brakes didn't work. Steering didn't work. I kept motoring at about 75 miles an hour, and I was frightened to death. Soon after this, this happened and I missed my exit, a voice that is like you're hearing right now, except the voice was in my head. It said, I have been trying to reach you all your life. You know from the scriptures that I tell people that there is only so much rejection I'll take before this is the end of it. Well, this is your last chance. It is now or I will not bother you anymore. That puts things in perspective that I never have thought of. Now my fear was for my life. My mother's religion all came to light, and this voice continued. He says, this is what I have against you. And he began to go through my personality. You're rude. You're self-centered. You cheat. And he went on and on all these factors that I thought, these weren't big things in my life. They were just little things that made up the big picture of who I was. Because I was mainly a nice guy, in my opinion. But I wasn't. And as he laid these things out to me, I'm getting more terrified as each moment and each event and each thought came to his mind and to my ears. I was devastated. I tried one time to disagree with him. And he says, no, we're going to deal with the truth. If you start lying to me, we're done. That frightened me even more. Because I knew what he was saying was right from my heart of hearts. Now I know, what am I going to do? He's laying this out. 
When he finished with this episode, he then told me, What I've given you is the indictment that your life has compiled so that it will be presented at the white throne judgment as to who you are. The God of the universe has no choice. You have condemned yourself to eternal separation from him. For the first time since I was a little kid, I began to cry. I truly was broken. I have been ever since, but my brokenness now is based on compassion and love and sincerity and hope and help for others. But not then. That was purely selfish. I knew my life was through. How could I, how could I survive this indictment? After he was done with laying me out as to who I was personality-wise, he began to show me events in my life where he had stepped in and protected my life. Later, when he had finished it and I was by myself, I tried to remember all those things, and I came up with 89 events that had happened in my life where he intervened. If he had not intervened, I would have lost my life, and I wouldn't be here at this point with him. Now I'm faced with this awesome lack of thanklessness. I had never once thought of the times where my life was spared miraculously. Did I think that this was from God and that I owed him a great, great, great deal of gratitude for being so faithful to me for so long? And here he has been all my life taking care of me, even when I was a baby. And then a child, a toddler, where it's nothing I've done, but he stepped in. He won, the very first one was when I was born. My esophagus had not developed. I could not eat. I would take nourishment and then spit it right back up. They had to remove a section. And amazingly, it was a section of a, of a swine that they put in. It was one that our bodies would not reject. In the process of doing that, of course, I was hooked up to blood and I had a transfusion. Well, the secondary thing was I was one of those RH factor kids. Had this not happened in those days, the RH factor would have killed me. I look back and God did one thing, and the surgeons came in and solved that. And in so solving that one, they discovered the other because they're now giving me transfusions of the right kind of blood that's also going to keep me alive. So right in the beginning, God spared my life two successive times in one issue. And, of course, my mother was... was unbelievably gratified when she was shown the extent of how I should not have survived my birth. 
And so that made an even greater bond between her and God and her and me. And it was a lifetime thing for both of us. We're talking to Bob Smith, and he just described a road to Damascus experience that he had driving up I-75. It started at exit 215. The man couldn't see anything. And the next thing he knew, he got off at exit 336, 121 miles later. Doesn't remember driving at all. And I'm Jack Rasour, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760 WJ. Welcome back to Anything Is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Crisula, and we just heard Bob Smith describe an experience 22 years ago where you went 121 miles, going 75, 80 miles an hour on I-75. You don't remember a thing. You never saw a thing. Sir, with all due respect, I don't believe you. It's uh, it's really hard to believe. Um, it was a long time after the first impact of this that I could even believe that this continued to happen. The car kept going. I could not see any traffic coming or going, passing me or not. I had no idea what they saw in my vehicle while I'm driving along. But I'm now immersed in this conversation with, I knew it was Christ. He never identified himself. He would just talk in the first person and tell what he was doing for me and what I was doing to him and rejecting him. But here I am, and, and total lack of time. Had no idea the time that was going on. But at about halfway through, I would say, I finally just settled down because uh, the brake didn't work, the gas didn't work, steering didn't work. It was all not in my control. But the fear was gone because now I know something really unbelievable is going on. And I'm hearing things from him that are just hard to believe, except in my heart of hearts, I knew that what he was saying was exactly honest and true and right. And it finally got through to me that this was my last chance, but it was my chance that I had a chance one more time to accept Jesus as who he is and what he can do for me and what he will do for me. And that's when he promised, he, he laid out, another whole segment of my life. He says, now he went through scripture after scripture after scripture, telling me what his promises were. He would tell me, you will not have an easy time in life. I didn't have an easy time in life, but I overcame and so will you. I will be with you always to the end of this age and the beginning of the new age. And it was beginning to fall in love with someone who has done so much for my life 
and I was so horrible to him in the things he had done for me. And I was looking forward to the opportunity to step in and tell him, please forgive me. He didn't give me a chance yet. He wanted me to go through the entire thing that he had for me. We're talking to Bob Smith, and with tears streaming down his cheeks, he relates the story. Okay, 121 miles, you don't remember a thing. You get off at Charlevoix, you get to this cabin that you went to every year, you don't say anything, and your your cousin, okay, Wayne Boss, comes out, meets you. What does he say to you? Well, as I came the last quarter mile... Now, I know the, the stretch of highway. Now I'm at lower speeds, and I know that I'm now on this two-lane highway, and I, I know this road intimately, and I know I'm getting real close to Wayne's house. And when I slowed down to the point where I have to make the turn onto his road, this brilliant, brilliant goldish color began to dissipate, and I began to see the the forms of trees and signs and houses. And in a few seconds, there was Wayne in the side yard doing his leaves, and he now sees me in my truck approaching the house and the driveway to pull in there. And by the time I had gotten to his driveway, made my left turn in there and stopped, <laughs> he's running over to see me. And I, and I stepped out, and he says, Cousin Bob, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Wayne is a, is a wonderful Christian. He and I are close cousins, had been all my life. He was, he was always worried about my salvation. And here he came to me, and he, I, I says, How do you know this, Wayne? He says, Look at you. Look in the mirror. Well, I was still there at the truck, and the truck has one of those big mirrors on the outside. And as I looked, it was it was leaving, but that same color, whatever it was in there, was surrounding me, and it was it was beginning to fade, but it was there. And for a, for a few instants, I saw what he was looking at. All right, we met through our great mutual friend Joe Mastro, <laughs> fabulous man, fabulous. You've, this happened on November 13th, 2000, almost 22 years ago. And Bob, you've only told a couple of people in those 22 years about this. <clears throat> and Joe says, you got to meet Jack. you got to be on the show. You're very reluctant, okay? You've been extremely reluctant to tell your story, this unbelievable story. Why were you so reluctant? Even now, all you folks that are listening to this, this sounds like the tale of a nut. I am not. I'm telling you what happened to me. This is a God who lives up to his promise. He says, I am not willing that any should perish and that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ my Savior. And that's exactly what he did. I suspect 
in retrospect that he does this all over the place. We're living in a day and age that communication is now made available so that no matter where you live, you can pick up communication broadcasts from all sorts of things. But I had never told it. Even my wife, when I explained it to her, she thought I was crazy. She said, you had, you had, you had a vision or something. It was, it, was, it was a dream of some sort. It wasn't. It was live. It was real. And it was purposeful. But I didn't know it at the time. Um, Joe Mastro, I joined his, he has, a, he has a group of men. It's not a Bible study. It's a prayer session. Just men that come in from all denominations. Some of them come to his house. Others, others go online and link up with him. And we share with each other things in our life, people, events, things that need prayer. Now my life has really changed. Since that time, it was a number of years before I met Joe. I'm a different man completely. When the gospel says all things become new, it was instantly all things became new. We're talking to Bob Smith. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Rizzula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Bob Smith, who had a road to Damascus experience on November 13th, 2000, age 55. All right, you go back to work, GM, the manager, the tough guy. What happened? First thing, one of the guys, Monday morning, back from, back from hunting, he came in like normal. He's got a problem. He's waiting for my chastisement. I said to him, well, you know, I've got a lot of experience here at GM, and maybe between the two of us, we can come up with a recovery plan that'll work. I says, now, I have a little bit more horsepower than you have, so we'll go through this, and if you need help getting some test time out of the tech center, out of the proving grounds, or any place else, 
I have contacts that may help smooth the skids and take some time that we need out of the pro progress toward heating our tar hitting our targets. So we went, we worked on it, probably 10, 15 minutes. We came up with a recovery plan, and he thanked me. Nobody ever thanked me in my group. <laughs> he thanked me and got out. He went out in the office, and he told him, he says, I don't know who's in that office, but if you've got a problem, take it in there right now. That's what I found out later he did. And all day long, they were streaming in with their problems. And each one of them sitting down, and we came up with recovery plans. We're talking to Bob Smith. Bob, I quote you now. I've been in Jesus' presence two other times. Really? Really. Now, these could have been called a dream, to me, they weren't a dream, but they were in reality. I was in a situation, and the light was just bright. I'm there, and the light was bright. So bright, should have hurt my eyes. Instead, it was comforting. And as I'm getting adjusted to the brightness of the light, there began to appear a face like gold, like bronze, it, unbelievable. But it was a human face. It was a man. It didn't take long before I recognized this was Jesus standing there. And I immediately went prostrate. Now I'm crying because I'm more aware of my sins than I ever had been in my life. And he let me cry. And then after a while, he touched me, and I started to get up. I saw his feet. I saw th the nail prints that were still there. And then his hands touched my shoulder. I could see those marks. And I was just destroyed. And he said, and I started crying again. And he said, go ahead, finish up. After this, there will be no more tears. He says, come on with me. I want you to meet the Father. That was that short and but he said, before we go, you have to forgive yourself. You have never done that. And I know he was right. And so we went through a process. He gently let me through it. And I felt the load of total peace came over me. And he says, you know, you probably wonder why you had to forgive yourself. He says, you know, when you live in my kingdom, everybody has forgiven themselves of their sins. That's why when you meet people there, 
because you have been forgiven of your sins and you have forgiven your sins perfectly. You cannot remember any more of your sins and you can't remember any more of their sins. You're going to see people that you know that you might have had problems with. You'll see them and you'll smile and all you'll have inside you is wonderful memories of the life between the two of you and you will embrace each other in love and kindness. It's unbelievable. And I thought about that then and beyond that, I said, you know, that's that has to be the way it is. Otherwise, heaven won't work if we get to remember people that there that we've had a problem with and what their things are. Jesus said, all gone. A couple segments ago when you reiterated <clears throat> that experience in the car and God told you how bad you were because you said you, you were self-centered, you were mean, you cheated, you lied. Bob, that's child's play. That, the stuff I've done is unbelievable. So maybe God could forgive you for those little infractions, but he can't forgive me who have blown your bad stuff away. Well, it's true. I, I haven't been totally open with you on what I've done. I probably won't ever with anybody. But sin is sin. And that's what my Savior said to me. It separates me from you. That's why when I tried to lie about what he was saying about me, he said, look, if we go that way, you're inviting Satan into this conversation, and this conversation is over. He does not abide sin. And, you know, he gets down to silly things. Because immediately things that went to mind, well, wait a minute. I, I have a pen on my desk. I put it in my jacket. I go home, and I take it out, and I throw it in my pile there. That's stealing. It's not stealing. It's stealing. Why did you feel uncomfortable when you did it? Because you knew it was wrong. But you did it anyway, and you repeated doing things like that. You know it's cheating on your on your income tax if you if you well, you know, I said this much last year and so I'll make it about the same thing as this year and even though I didn't do that much, it's okay. And if they catch me, well, it's, it's such a minor thing. We'll get through it. I apologize, and I found reasons why my sins didn't build up to anything. It's not true. He deals in truth. And he says, everything that you do that's apart from me is something for Satan. All right, there's a listener tonight that says... I'm happy for you, Bob. I'm happy for you. For me, <clears throat> things are going great. I don't need God right now. It's, things are going great. And uh, he'll be there when I need him. Things were going great for me. I had moved up in General Motors. They were gracious to me, gave me a good salary, great benefits, 
I had a job where people worked for me. I had what I thought was respect in the community, respect at work. Um, I was doing pretty good. I was managing the affairs of my life real well. However, when I had the encounter with Christ, Jesus said, No, this is not how I want you to live your life. I want you to live for me. And I don't condone those kind of things, big or small. I love you too much to let Satan have any piece of you anymore. You're mine, and I'm yours, and I love you. Bob Smith, you are a shining example of a person who has truly surrendered to God and thereby transformed your life for the better. Uh, thank you for doing this, and um, keep up the great, great work. Thank you so much, and all praise goes to God. And you're listening out there, please think about these things. Think about yourself and the life that you can have with an absolute wonderful Savior. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Crisula. Thanks for listening and make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spoke. Believe.